First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, I'm Nick Black, host of The Soul Side on Diddy TV. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Today, you'll be hearing from Amy Wright as she talks in-depth with Ray Benson, the truly iconic frontman and co-founder of the Western Swing and Country Music Outfit, Asleep at the Wheel, a band of which about 90 people have been a part of at some point since 1969. But Ray's been the balanced center of the wheel, so to speak, for over 50 years. So I'll keep this short, because there's a lot to cover. Ladies and gents, here's Amy Wright, talking with Ray Benson. Hey, Ray. Welcome to Diddy TV. How are you? Howdy. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I just uh, got back. I was a little little late in hooking up, but had a busy night last night at uh, old George Strait. Uh, we were doing a golf tournament with George. That's great. What what was it? A benefit golf tournament, or what was the event for? Yeah, uh, it's for uh, some of the uh, wounded soldiers that uh, that, that uh, we help. Oh, that's uh, the, the that's an amazing cause. Have you been involved with that for a while, or ten years now? This is our tenth year. This is a big year for you. I was reading that uh, you've got your fifty year retrospective with Austin City Limits coming up, and. And just in general, having been in the music business uh, for that long is pretty impressive. And I wanted to go back just a little bit so that, you know, folks could kind of hear how you got started, because I think it's pretty interesting. You're actually from Philly, and you grew up as a kid in Philly, right? The suburbs, but yeah. So what what were you listening to as a kid? Were you listening to country music or everything? I, I was a child performer. And so uh listened to the radio a lot, but the group was, we were called the 4Gs, and we played folk music, and uh, it was, um, it was, uh, like, we sang, like, Woody Guthrie, Peter, Paul, Mary, you know, the folk boom. 1961, uh, I was 10 years old. And so I started out playing, but then I played in everything in high school. I played... Um, bass fiddle in the orchestra, bass fiddle in this, the stage band, tuba in the marching band, guitar in the bossa nova band. And I just love to play music. So starting out as a, always singing, of course. 
It's in the choir and the chorus, etc. Were your parents musicians, or what sort of drove you to be so interested in music? Just loved it, you know. No, my no, my mom was a school teacher and, and was a wrote books on remedial reading. My father was a businessman and an engineer. All my brothers and sisters have postgraduate degrees in something, and I just was always uh, interested in the arts, you know. Well, I just kind of found it very interesting because you went from Philly and then you ended up in West Virginia, in Pawpaw, West Virginia, somehow. And I kind of wanted to know how you ended up in Pawpaw. Uh, turn left at Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was, um, I went to college. I was going to be a filmmaker. I always liked film. I still love films. And I actually have done a lot of film work, both music and acting. But so I went to college and we had a work study program and, uh, I went to New York city and was an apprentice editor back in the days of film, 1969. And my friend Lucky, who I started the band with, had met these folks in West Virginia and they were caretaking a, a an abandoned apple and peach orchard. And it had this old, uh, log cabin built in late 1700s. So you can start your band here. And so he said, well, of course, why don't we just go to West Virginia and start our band in a 180 year old log cabin? So we did. And uh, then we started playing around there. And then it gets even weirder. We're still, we're at our farm. We weren't really a band. We were trying, we were writing songs, you know, and trying to get people to join. There's three of us, Leroy, Lucky and me, and my brother come to join. And um, these two buses of hippies, painted buses, come down to this farm where you had to be going to the farm to get there. It was on the Potomac River. And they said, oh, we heard there was a band of long-haired kids living up here. Or, hey, we're from the hog farm. And they were the ones who would put on, <laughs> help put on uh, Woodstock. So they said, we're, we're going to this big concert we've been doing across the country. It's in Washington, D.C. Why don't you come on down and open the show? It was with Hot Tuna, which was the Jefferson Airplane spinoff band, uh, Stone Ground, another uh, San Francisco band, and Alice Cooper. So that was our opening show. That's quite the mix. <laughs> quite the mix is right. And, uh, <laughs> and that's where we started. And uh, we started playing around D.C. And we were always playing up in West and then started playing around West Virginia and these little, you know, redneck hillbilly bars. And then we come down into Washington, D.C. and play in these rock and roll joints with guys like Nils, Gl Nils Lofgren, who was in, you know, he's with Bruce Springsteen. And there were some wonderful people in Washington, D.C., Emily Harris. And so that's where it all began. Did you ever play the Birchmere? I know that's a, of course. a big venue up there. Oh, many, many times. Still do. We played the Little Birchmere Mill. That was like 30 years ago. The Little Birchmere was really small then they built a nice big one we'll we'll play about every other year yeah. so the early days was it exciting was it hard to break into music or do you think it was easier than today to uh to break into the music business um it's different it's just different we were um easier harder i don't know uh it's certainly different it's um but it was tough you know we spent years you know, starving until we weren't. <laughs> um, so 
It's just different. Uh, and uh, it's uh, plus trying to get into a recording studio back then was like climbing a mountain. Where now you can do it on your iPhone, iPad, or whatever you got sitting in front of you, and actually make you know uh, decent music, if not high quality sound. You can make show people that your songs and your singing or your playing is really you know competent and entertaining. Yeah, the internet has really opened it up for people to be able to get their music out there. Then, of course, you have to have people, you have to get it to the people somehow after you create it. And there's always that marketing side of things. But at least you can uh, create it, like you're saying, way back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even uh, 90s, probably. It was very hard to get into recording studios. Yeah, you know, I built recording studios. I had a very big one for 27 years. Now we have a one, it's a smaller one down here at the house. But, um, you know, the, the problem is, is that because the entry fee is so low, anybody can do it. And so you get a lot of stuff that really shouldn't possibly um, be commercially released, but it's wonderful. People should be making music if they love to do it and have any talent. Not, it doesn't matter if it's going to be accepted as a commercial or a hit or it doesn't matter. It's just, it's an, you know, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And when it becomes a business, it, it gets, um, you know, tougher because, um, you know, it's a fickle business, much like athletics. There's always somebody right behind you waiting to do exactly what you did a little better. Very true. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. You know, I think about the fact that you started in this traditional form of music. Was it Texas Swing when you started? Because that's that's a very communal. What was it when you started? <laughs> no, the whole idea for Sleep at the Wheel was to play American roots music. Western swing is one of those roots music. So it's honky tonk music, rockabilly music, country Western music. You know, today they call it country music. I always just like, excuse me, it's country Western music. And um, so, yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, the Western swing came in, of course, in the first year, one song. You know, we went, we, we had rediscovered Bob Wilson's Texas Playboys, and we did one song in West Virginia. We moved to California moved west um people were like oh wow you do bob wills music you know oh okay sure and of course it does another western swing thing you know then we had a big hit in 75 on the letter johnny walker read and then the band turned over and turned over and, and then all of a sudden by the 80s i had to reform and then by the end of the 80s I had to reform with new people and that's when i decided to do a bob wills tribute record and we've done three of them but um, it was, uh, you know, it was um, a music that we loved and were able to play because it's not easy music. It's it's you know, it's difficult music. It has uh, technically, I'm talking, and um, so 
as we became better musicians or as I became better musicians and, and everything, started doing more Western swing. So then by the 90s, we were really tagged, rightfully so, as a Western swing band or a, what they called us, the postmodern kings of Western swing. <laughs> That's a pretty good title to have. Uh, well, well, Bob Wills, did you ever get to meet him? Yeah, it's a funny, not a funny story, but an interesting story in that um, in 1973, maybe 74, um, yeah, 74, he was um, making an album which was called For the Last Time. And they had him and all the Texas Playboys that were still alive up in Dallas, and they asked us to come up and meet him. So we went up to meet him, we walked in the studio. He was very sick and he was in a wheelchair. And he said, they said, uh, Mr. Wills, this is Ray Benson, Asleep at the Wheel. We had just put out uh, one of his songs, Take Me Back to Tulsa. So he, um, he, uh, he just sort of nodded. He was very sick. And they said, look, Mr. Wills is tired. We're going to take him back to his hotel room. You can talk to him tomorrow. So they took him out of the hotel room. And that night, he had a stroke, went into a coma. Never said another word, died two years later. So we met him and that was it. And looking back, somebody once said to me, well, bang, right? That was the passing of the torch in that little hallway. There you were, we were 20, I was 23 years old. And here was this old man who was literally dying. So, you know, looking back I, at the time, I never thought about it because but then, you know, 50 years goes by, you know, start thinking about it. Yeah, that sort of gives me goosebumps. It definitely has that feel of someone literally passing passing the torch, like you said. This is your responsibility now, and what are you going to do with it? Yeah, and, and uh, the guys, the band, because it was the Texas Playboys did all the playing, and Bob was the personality, the singer, and a great fiddler, and et cetera. But then we got to be great friends with Leon, Leon McAuliffe, Leon Roush, Elton Shamlin, all these guys, Al, Al Strickland, uh, Jesse Ashlock, etc. And it was, uh, um, it was our education, uh, Johnny Gimble, uh, Jesse Ashlock. You know, I could go on names and names and names, but these were the old guys and they had really, uh, through the fifties and sixties been forgotten in terms of their musicality. They, nobody wanted to hear Western swing no more. So um, they really appreciated us. And then in 1975, uh, we taped the first Austin City Limits television show. And they said, who do you want on the show? And we said, the Texas Playboys. And it was funny because the, the producer at the time of Austin City Limits was from New York and he had no idea who the Texas Playboys were. <laughs> they said, hey, you know, these are the guys. And that shows in the Smithsonian now the... the were you already living in Texas at that point? I know that, no, no, famously, I should say, Willie Nelson invited you to Texas and you moved there. And I thought to myself, if Willie Nelson invited me to Texas, would I move there? Yes, I would move there. <laughs> yeah. So were you already in Texas at this point? Yes. Yeah, we did. We moved there. I think the end of 73, we rented a house. We first played there at the end of 72, no, February of 73. We got there in 72, messed around, got a gig anyway. Yeah, and uh, we were welcomed in Texas by, which was so, you know, gratifying for us because 
a lot of times playing around the country, uh, people were like, what's that music? You know, they don't, they didn't, they didn't know. In Texas, they knew they danced to it. That was the other thing to dance to it. Oh my God, they're going to dance. That's great. You know, in California, they love what we did. We were in the Berkeley, Oakland area, but they were like, oh wow, what's this music? <laughs> you know, they didn't have a tradition of dancing to it, you know, and it wasn't a hippy dippy shake kind of thing, you know, so. So anyway, yes, Texas was so good to us and greeted us with great open arms and with Willie. Willie said, I'll put you on a bunch of shows. Now you gotta remember, <laughs> the shows that Willie was putting us on was like 250 seat club, you know, outdoor dance patios, um, you know, $100 for the opening band. All right, $100. Uh, but God bless Willie Nelson, let me tell you something. Uh, he has been the best friend I have ever had and um, him well he's 87 years old he'll be 88 in april and uh, wish him all the best and, uh, and and love him around for another 100 years oh we love willie we love his son lucas we listen to his music as well and he's uh he's really doing some great things with his songwriting as well yep old lucas known him since he was born and a great guitar player his brother micah another wonderful their sister paula and amy you know the family is just Full of talent. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. So are there still uh, dance halls in Texas? Oh, yeah. I think I'll write that song. Are there still dance halls in Texas? You bet there are. In fact, uh, we do uh, benefit. Uh, we have a, a 501c3 uh, a charity for the Texas Dance Hall Preservation Society uh, because a lot of them are uh, going the way of, they're in rural communities that are no longer viable uh, in terms of uh, people have moved to the big cities. So yeah, and just the other day, we haven't played much during this COVID uh, uh, deal and we played two days at Green Hall, uh, the oldest continuous operating uh, dance hall in Texas. We did it very safely, had a, a whole lot less people, you know, et cetera. But yeah, dance halls are what, Texas music uh, was all about and, and helped form the music. Well, if we can ever help promote anything to help raise money for the, the preservation, please let us know because uh, dance halls and a dinner theater is kind of near and dear to our heart too that I read somewhere that at one point every town had a dinner theater, kind of like the Birchmere we were talking about, and then they went down to a handful, and they're they're coming back. People like that format. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like right now, it's a big struggle, as you know, and everybody knows. Any venue, movie theaters, dance halls, concert halls, really struggling. We're very concerned about the future. I mean, sleep at the wheel will be all right uh, uh, through this pandemic, um, just by chance. And um, But the venues that we cherish, the clubs that we love, you know, um, dance halls, honky tonks, rhythm and blues, everything. We hope that uh, find a way to make sure that they stay around. For sure, for sure. I know that that there are a lot of fundraisers right now to help help those folks out, and we're uh, they're near and dear to our heart too. 
and we're trying to do our part to uh, to help to help venues stay alive. And um, they're they're the reason that bands exist and are able to travel and tour. And um, I know you guys are on the road many days a year normally. Uh, yeah, not now. Yeah. That, our buses got cobwebs around it. You know. <laughs> What do you do when you're not touring then? Because if you're used to touring 200-plus days per year, what do you do when you're not touring? Are you creating more music or doing something else completely? I grew this beard. Uh, <laughs> my COVID beard. I told Billy Gibbons if, if I was a little shorter, I'd join ZZ Top. But, the, um, I, yeah, I've been writing a lot of music. You know, and it, we we work a very hard road, and it's very difficult to get the time on the road to write. So I've had more time than in, in any other time in my life to write, so I've written a lot. As a band, uh, we recorded a new album. We're, we're still recording it, but we got a lot of it done, and it'll come out in the spring. Um, we we did a couple of videos. Um, during the height of the pandemic, or this might be the height of the pandemic, I don't know, but... Uh, about a few months ago when we were totally quarantined, I wrote a song called I Love You, Don't Touch Me, and we did a little video on it, me and Katie, the other singer in the band, Katie Shore. Um, you know, uh, because I had to do something. I'm very fortunate to have a studio in my home, and it's a world-class studio, and it used to be in a, a big studio, but I sold the, that property, moved everything to my big house, which I'm the only one living here, so. And, um, yeah. We've been working, and then um, being the 50th year, we had this whole thing planned. The original band was coming back to an album, and the current band was going to do an album. It would be a double album thing, and they were filming it for a, a, a film, a feature film, a documentary film, and it just all went away, literally, because the original band are from Lucky's in Australia, Chris is in California, Leroy's in Vermont, uh, Tony Garnier's with Bob Dylan, he, he works for Bob, he's his bass player, and he was, a, so just getting them together was a hat trick, and, and so we're hoping to do it again a year from now here in Austin. So, because that wasn't happening, my son Sam, he produces the records and runs the business part of the, is also is a, an engineer, you know, he's an all-around guy, and other son is a uh, trailer editor in uh, California. He makes trailers. Those of you who don't know what a trailer is, it's what you see, you know, advertising movies and video games. So he went to the Austin City Limits folks, and Sam did, and said, hey, we would like to do an hour special of Sleep at the Wheels. I think 12 appearances plus two specials on Austin City Limits. And they said, sure, go ahead. So my two kids, Sam and Aaron, took the... Uh, initiative and mixed and edited this uh, which will be shown on the uh, Halloween night on PBS let's go back to Austin City Limits then because what ha- what did they mean to your band but also what do you think they've meant to so many up-and-coming bands uh, that they started way back when and you were one of the one of the pioneers I should say and you were you were on Austin City Limits what 10 or 11 times Twelve, and then there were two specials. Uh, one called "Swinging Over the Rainbow," I do with Willie, and another was the Country Music Hall of—I mean, the uh, Austin City Limits Hall of Fame show. And then I appeared with some other people, but um, yeah, we were the first scheduled one, 1975 taped. I think it showed in '76, maybe. And Willie did the pilot, so uh, for us, it was our uh, best 
introduction to the world because also see limits the whole idea of the show is let them play 30 minutes let them play or an hour and so that because our records i mean we're very proud of our records but the records are not a live show and so to be able to see 30 minutes of live show that's what willie wanted he said just let me get up and play Willie once time told me, he says, the reason I wanted to do Austin, create Austin City Limits along with the producers and directors, et cetera, was because every time he would go on television to play music, he said, I got to do a golf joke with Bob Hope. And not that we don't love Bob Hope and golf, but we just want to play music. So it was singularly dedicated to the art of performance as opposed to being a guest on some other type of show. It was all music That's focused. Right. Um, That's it. Well, of course, you know, Austin City Limits has, has become a, a fixture in, uh, you know, sort of everyone's life. And uh, they, they support all kinds of music, but um, certainly something that I think has been really important to the music world since they started. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing, seeing your special. That's going to be great. And... Uh, Something I, I kind of read about you was that you collect items from Route 66. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got like walls of them. I think they're, oh yeah, they're above the, uh, I have a room above the garage that's full of them. Yes. Pieces of the road. I used to, every truck stop we would stop in, I'd buy this stuff. Whatever it is, you got it. Salt shakers, pepper shakers, paperweights. Shot glasses, everything, pieces of the road. In 1992, we did a tour of Route 66. It was the 66th anniversary of Route 66 in 1992. And we went from Chicago to LA on what's left of the road, did concerts all the way down it uh, with guest artists. And the guy who wrote Get Your Kicks on Route 66, Bobby Troop, he appeared with us. And so, uh, yeah, because that was a big record for us, still is. Get Your Kicks on Route 66. Uh, Leon Roush, the great Texas playboy who was in, suggested to us one day, hey, why don't you take that Route 66 song that Nat King Cole did and the Rolling Stones did as a rock and roll song. Why don't you make it a boogie-woogie kind of thing? And that's what we did. Floyd played the piano. And it's been our signature song since, you know. What's, what's the favorite item in your collection? Piece of the Road, you know, uh, one of the bricks uh, from... Uh, in Oklahoma, and then there's a chunk from, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, we wish you the best with your new album that's coming out and the upcoming Austin City Limits special. Um, and, of course, we would uh, extend an invitation to you, Ray, to come to Memphis at some point in the future and play our concert series. We would love to uh, to entertain you here in Memphis, and we're right up the road. We're not too far from Texas. We love Memphis, and yeah, we'd love to come. Of course, our friend Dale Watson's there now most of most of the time, and uh, and we play what Lafayette's is it? Is it the is there is that the club? Mm -hmm. I think we played there. Lafayette. And uh, going back, of course, you know, I love R and B music too. So I know a lot of the Memphis people. I knew Rufus and uh, Thomas, a lot of the folks, and. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we love Memphis. Life gets get some good barbecue, even though we are Texas barbecue lovers. We also love Memphis barbecue because it is singularly Memphis. And uh, and um, what can I say? We'd love to come up and do it. And as soon as we get the band back on the road, we'll certainly head your way.
Thank you, Ray. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ray Benson. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.